Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I am thrilled this evening to be joined by Kimberly Moran of We Are Tim or We Are Teachers. Kimberly, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. And we just got done with what was almost a, a nine-minute conversation of me picking your brain about what you what you guys do on on one side of the We Are Teachers. So I'm I'm excited to to share that with with our audience. I think it's going to be a really good show. Awesome. All right. So, so the first question, just just to get started, um, and just so the the get uh, the listeners can get to, get to know you just a little bit better, um, tell us your story of kind of how you got into education and and how you got to where you are now with We Are Teachers. Well, I I mean, I actually I went in my graduate. Uh, I mean, in my college program, I was in an elementary education major. So I kind of knew I wanted to be a teacher. My grandfather was a professor. My uncle was a professor. And I just thought, teach. I'd always been with kids. I babysat my whole life. So I just thought teaching was, like, right for me. And interestingly enough, I didn't go – I taught one year of kindergarten after college, and then I left um, teaching because there wasn't um, – it wasn't a great market for teaching where I was living and I was having trouble finding a job, but I like to say I'm a teacher in everything I do. So no matter what job I've had in nonprofits and companies, I've always ended up being the one that sort of taught people how to do things. Perfect. Perfect. And then, so did you, did you come back to the classroom before you got to, we are teachers or have you been? Yep. So at some point I was like, you know what? I need to go back and give my education you know, the plan it, it had intended. So <clears throat> I went back and I, um, I taught eighth grade in Houston, Texas for three years. And then I taught first grade and second grade um, for about eight or nine years. And then I was a literacy specialist for a few years. And then last, and then I started during that time, I started a blog as a way to reflect on my teaching. Um, everybody, other people write in journals. I think I started probably 87 journals and I've written like two pages in them and then I never write in them again. But for me, writing on my computer was a no brainer and I like to have a little bit of an audience. So, uh, everyone was starting up blogs when I was teaching first grade. So I started up a blog and I had read that if you reflect on your practice for seven minutes at the end of every day, even if you never read it again, it's good for you and it will make you a better teacher. So every day at the end of the day, I would blog for seven minutes or more about what I did and what was good about what I did and what I wish I'd done better. And it really connected me to the, this online audience. And it started me realizing that I love to write. And after in 2015, I started really writing and trying to get articles published about education and about my parenting. And last year in March, I decided to make the leap into full-time writing and I became an editor at We Are Teachers. Nice. And, and where in Houston did you teach while you were there? I taught at a private school called uh, St. Francis. It's in the Memorial area. Uh, nice. Well, my, my co-host who's not with us tonight, Wilkie, is born and raised Houston. And yeah. I'm, I'm back in Wisconsin now, but he and I met while I taught for eight years in Houston. We both taught in the uh, in the Aldine district yeah. of Houston, so uh, we we always love our uh, our Houston Texas connections that we have with people. That's our that's our favorite. We like our Houston people. 
I live in Maine now, but I honestly think that Houston people were like some of the nicest people I've ever met. Oh, they're they're so fantastic. And and the thing I was so surprised by when I moved down there is yeah, I guess I knew Houston was a big city, but I didn't realize how big. And, you know, there were people from all over and you got to meet so many um so many different people and so many different cultures and the food and all all that stuff but uh you're right though the 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 people in Houston are are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Yeah. So, uh a question we love to ask um all of our guests is could you tell us about the favorite teacher you ever had and why that person was your favorite teacher? Sure. So, for sure my favorite teacher was my first grade teacher. Um her name was Mrs. Gianelli. And she was my favorite teacher because uh, she, I wore we I went to an all girls school in New York City and wore uniforms and um, you know I felt like everyone was supposed to be a certain way and I was um, probably out of the realm of the of the typical girl and that I was super loud and nutty and um, every day I wore Dracula teeth to school. Um, and you know, those teeth that you can put in your mouth and she didn't care. And she let me wear them and she didn't think she didn't even act like it was weird. And when other teachers make me take them out, she would be like, they don't understand. Leave them here. When you come back to class, you can pop them back in. So I always liked her for just letting me be who I was. That is one. That's, I mean, this is our, this is our 50th episode. And that's one of the best. I've heard good stories, but that's <laughs> one of the best stories I've heard Thank of you. a teacher that, I mean, because, yeah, you're right. There's there's no real reason that any teacher would let you. I mean, that's that's so not, not the norm to let a student wear Dracula teeth. So you wore them all the time? All the time. It was <laughs> my gag. That's all. That's awesome. That is so fantastic. I love that idea. So, all right. And you said her name was Mrs. Gianelli. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? I grew up in New York City in Manhattan. Nice. Nice. And what was, what was, what was growing up in New York like, you know, the, the school system and stuff like that? Well, I didn't go to public schools. I went to a private school. So probably a really, I mean, you know, in New York City, you know, a huge amount of people go to private school as well. Um, so it was, I mean, I didn't know any different, you know. I mean, it was, a, it was a pretty small world in that I think people think New York is like this big, crazy place. But the truth is, like, you end up going to the same stores and the same restaurants and living, you know, in the same areas. And so people get to know you. And, you know, when you stop off to get like a candy bar after school, people are all the people who work there are like, hi, Kimberly, I was school today, which is no different than a small town. But I think people, if you haven't lived in New York, you think New York is like, how can that be? But it really is a very small town. Yeah. I, I've, I, you know, I, I grew up in, in what is really a small town, like 2000 people total, you mm-hmm. know, so, so the jump to Houston was way different for me and, and I adjusted. And, and like you said, I think, you know, you, you hang out in the same places with the same people and you live in the same area and it, it definitely doesn't always feel like a small town, but, but there were definitely pockets that have a small town feel. And I'm, I'm one of those people that wouldn't expect New York to be, um, a place where it would feel like a small town, but. Well, I think the big difference too is, you know, having lived in both places in Houston, you would never be without your car, but in New York, you're walking everywhere. So in that sense, there's a lot of small town as well because you're walking everywhere. So it's a slower pace in that sense. And 
people are, you know, hopping on buses and hopping in cabs. Yes. But a lot of the time they're thinking nothing of walking 20 blocks to get somewhere. Nice. That's, that's interesting. I, I might have to change my, I, I always kind of said New York was maybe one of the cities I, I didn't need to go to because I thought it was maybe a little too crazy. But now that you say nah. that, I'm kind of interested to go to New York and just walk 20 blocks at a time. So See? I have to try it out. So, all right. So, you know, when you were teaching and, and or in what you're doing now as an editor, um, if you would say you were a superhero as a teacher or you had a superpower as a teacher, what would, what would that have been? Well, I, I, uh, I really don't know that much about superheroes, but if I had to say, if I had to come up with someone, I would say probably Spider-Man because he's someone who like, doesn't need a lot of fame. Like he doesn't need to be known. He always sort of keeps on the down low. And, um, and I like uh, the idea that I could make a web that would kind of keep people together and feeling like they belonged. That's a great answer. The, the web thing is, is a great, that's a great answer. Um, all right. So continuing from your perspective, you know, both as your, you know, with your time as an educator and now as an editor at We Are Teachers, what would you say the state of education is in America today? Um, I really, I really think we're at a all time low for um, the big picture of education in America. I think that uh, fear is driving a lot of what's happening and money is being put in the wrong places um, I think we're not learning from our mistakes and we're not moving forward with the way the world is changing. Um, and I think that, you know, we're stuck in that rut of older, uh, you know, people who are saying like, but kids should just be like this. Cause when I was young, this is exactly what it was, but the world really is different. And even though child development is the same, what kids have to deal with, they have so much information and they have no way to organize that information. And when, kid, when kids were younger, I mean, back in, you know, years ago, there wasn't as much information that they had to organize. They, they sort of just had to organize like what their homework was. But when you think about how the internet is changing things, I think we have to face facts that the children who are in front of us have a different experience than, than children used to have. Yeah, I, uh, when I was in Houston, I taught middle school, sixth through eighth grade. But now, now back in Wisconsin, I teach at a high school and I've had so many conversations with my high school kids and I tell them like, I, I feel for them because they live in a world that's infinitely more complicated than I grew up in. And, and social media and the internet give them opportunities I or we never had, but I can't even quantify the amount of drama and stress that it brings into their lives when, you know, I was having a conversation with a kid today that they thought they were a bad friend if a person texted them or sent them a message and they didn't respond immediately. Right. And I tried to talk, I just tried to say to him, I asked him, well, what if you got something going on? What if you can't respond? And there, the kid just goes, why? Well, I, I just feel bad. I just have to respond because I don't want to lose a friend over not responding to a text right away. And it just sort of blew my mind that, that this is the mentality that they have. And, you know, I, I kind of turned the conversation to, well, do you think if someone texts you 
and you don't respond and they get mad, do you think that's the kind of person they have and you, you want to have in your life? And they're like, well, if they're my friend and they get mad, I mean, it's okay. And I just, it, it sort of blew my mind that they were so wrapped up in that, that they would let that, that stuff slide, but they can't think about themselves enough to say, hey, this is more important than having to answer a text in the three seconds after I get it. Well, I think it's hard to, you know, that's what you're learning when you're younger, right? You're learning how how do we block out. But th- this is what I'm talking about in terms of how we're not teaching. Like, that should be a part of our, our lessons now is, like, in how do you prioritize? How do you make decisions about stuff? And how do you establish who you are as a caring friend, whether or not you're too busy to answer a text right away? Yeah, I mean, and... Do you notice, I mean, from your time in the classroom and, you know, as you're curating content, I mean, do you notice that there are a lot of places that are actually teaching these skills or is it more just kind of implicit that they're being taught? I think there are some awesome teachers out there who are doing amazing work. But I think that, you know, in general, being a really good teacher means you sort of put your head down and you do what's right for kids and so, you know, it, that can be such a busy experience that the only time you have to share what you're doing might be in July, which is literally like the only time that teachers aren't 100% consumed with education, right? Like they're, they're thinking about it all the way through June. In July, they're like, okay, 4th of July is like the only holiday I can really enjoy without thinking about school. And then as soon as August 1st hits, you know, everybody's back to, to thinking about school. And so I, I just think that people are doing really great things, but they don't always have the time to share what they're doing. And also, I think people are scared to talk too much about things. Like, it's hard to know where to draw the line, you know, about being, a, being somebody's parent versus being somebody's teacher. Yeah, I mean, and that's an interesting question that you bring up. I mean, and and I'm not trying to jump on any soapboxes or bandwagons, but I mean, there is a lot of talk out there about, you know, the role of teacher becoming more and more of a parent, you know, with what seems to be parents who are less and less involved. And, and I don't want to mince words because I have a ton of kids with a ton of great parents, but it seems like there's a trend that teachers are having to take more of the parental role. Is that something that you've noticed? You know, I, I think that's, um, I, I think that you, it, you there's going to be pockets where you're going to find stuff like that. But I think then that, then that's the opposite, right? There's pockets where you're going to find parents who are like over parenting and not letting their kids just do what they need to do at school. So I think that, it, I think that, you know, like the research to back any idea you have, people are going to find those instances where they want to find those instances. But I think that in general, teachers feel a huge responsibility to kids. And when they see the kids need something, they feel like they need to, to provide it. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Right. And, you know, kind of back to your original point, I have, you know, for in a seven period day, I have four, you know, regular classes that I teach, but I also kind of have the luxury where I supervise two study halls. And that's really been beneficial to have that time where I'm not responsible for the academic, you know, curriculum to where I can have, I mean, because that was where I had this conversation with this kid today. And, 
you know, I, I, in my other study halls, I'm having conversations, you know, with people who are on different sports teams talking about how much drama there is because everybody's on Snapchat or on Instagram together and they have these group chats and there's constantly people fighting. And, and I think Mm -hmm. having the opportunity to have those conversations and, you know, whether I'm getting through to the kids or not, I don't know, but I think I'm in a really unique spot that I, that I do get the opportunity to have some of those conversations, which I think are, are good. And, and, and they're beneficial for me as well to be able to, to work with kids on that. I mean, I think that, I think the thing is that, you know, we don't live in communities where, where community members are, you know, caring for our kids the way they used to, right? Like it used to be like, if you were running around the neighborhood, another parent might be like, listen, don't you guys calm down and go do this, you know? And everyone felt like they were responsible for kids. But now people don't want their kids roaming around outside because, you know, the media has built up this whole fear-based society. And so I think the the the, the only other community members that, that kids see are teachers. So I think that it's it's very likely that we've just become an extension of their neighborhood in that sense. Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good way to say it. So, you know. Coming off of that, you know, in, in your perspective on education, explain to our listeners kind of the genesis of We Are Teachers and and what your organization strives to do for the teaching community. Okay, so uh, We Are Teachers is, we're a media brand and we serve education communities around our a deep passion point, which for us is that teachers are our, uh, the teacher world is super important to us. And so we go deep um, instead of going, you know, just we don't have tons and tons of content. We think really hard about what we put on there and we tell stories about teachers and we really use the data that we learn out teachers from lots of things from like, you know, looking at what kinds of things people Google, um, you know, just simply by us typing in like things that we think are going to interest teachers and seeing like what else pops up, you know, below for suggestions. And we're like, okay, those are great ideas. That's obviously what teachers are asking for. And then we also build a community on Facebook of, um, and Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest of, you know, teachers, and we study it really hard and, and see how people are engaging and see what questions people ask. Because we feel like it's our responsibility to be a place where teachers can go and find the answers that they need. Um, there's so much stuff out there. And we want to really have the kinds of quality um, information that teachers go in that it's practical, they can use it right now. They know we value them, they know we value their voice. And we try to help them find what they need. Yeah, and that was just so surprising to me, um, you know, when we were talking before we hit record that you were using data so much, but but the simplicity. It, could you you know kind of expand on on kind of the what you were saying about how you decide what is important to teachers because I, I was saying to you that I loved, I just felt like the content on We Are Teachers is always so relevant. So how, how maybe go in a little more depth as to how you really pick that content 
and how you then create it to, to really make it meaningful? Well, I think there's, there's so many things at play, to be honest. It's never really one thing, but the, the very first thing is that we ask teachers all the time. We're constantly like posting on Facebook. What do you think about this? What do you know about that? I mean, a really good example of that is we um, posted, you know, what do you think about um, wearing jeans as a teacher and recently? And a, lo- a lot of people started talking about it. And clearly there was a lot of debate over whether or not people thought you should wear jeans. And so we threw it out there. And, and the way it works with our, with our um, content is that um, it's mostly um, user-generated content. So we ask teachers to write pieces for us, and then we edit it. Um, and so we said, you know, who, uh, who wants to write an article about how teacher, how genes can work in the workplace? And somebody wrote it and it got, I mean, it got passed around like crazy because it's a huge thing. Like people, you wouldn't think so, you know, but people think about this stuff and they think about what they wear. And there's always a lot of debate about like, you know, what genes signify. And I think that, you know, when you ask teachers, what matters to them, they will tell you, but we don't listen. I think the one important thing about the state of education is that we listen to so many people who are not teachers tell us about how education should go. And so what we are teachers we do is we try to say, like, what are they looking for? Whatever teachers are looking for, that's what we want to provide. And we want to provide it from the teacher's perspective. And the best way to do that is to have teachers do the writing. So for the most part, the majority of our articles are written by teachers. Um, and then we also, the editors will write stuff too. Like when we're passionate about something, you know, a lot of book lists are generated by me because I'm just a book freak. Like I'm always reading books. So I'm like, I, you know, I'm, if I'm sitting around and I'm feeling like my, my, I'm not, you know, I've got like a creative block or something. I'm like, I'm going to write an article on like all the books you should read if you're teaching this one topic or whatever. So we try to use as much as we can from everywhere. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And you know, we we talk to some people who who do conferences like the the Teacher Hard Out Conference, and mm-hmm. and what we're noticing and what we talked about a lot is now a lot of the professional development is becoming very teacher centric, to where it's it's teachers presenting what they're doing in the classroom. And it's really facilitating more of more of of that open dialogue and communication between educators who are in the field. Because I, I really like the point you made that it often feels like as a teacher that so many decisions are being made for us by people who are not in the profession or who have been out of um, the profession for a long time. I agree. I think another thing I think is really important is that um, I think the best thing that we can do that we really try to do it, um, we are teachers, is not foster competition. There, That I feel like, you know, we need a lot of teachers. There can't be one best teacher because there's no one best kid. And so there has to be lots of different people for lots of different kids. And so I think it's really important that we don't compete, that every teacher should want to be their best version of their teacher selves, you know, and because we need each other and we need to figure out how that's going to work. So if I've taught an amazing lesson and it worked really well, I feel like 
you should want to hear that. And oftentimes the culture is that if I'm telling you about this lesson that went really well, you might say to me, like, you know, why are you bragging? But ultimately, I think the best world in education would be if you said, that's awesome. Can you come teach that in my room? And that's something that I used to do all the time when I was teaching is say, like, I taught this. I was really good at teaching writing because that's what I love to do. And we know that, you know, when you really love to do something, you're a great teacher at it. So I would be like, I just taught this great lesson on poetry. Can I come in your classroom, um, you know, when I'm not, when I'm not, when my kids are like at a special and teach your kids that same class so you can watch me do it. And I think that's the kind of culture that really fosters like such this, you know, professionalism and excitement about education where you don't feel like you're all by yourself in your room all the time with your kids. So being that you are a, a book nut, I just want to jump off, off script for a second mm-hmm. and, and just say, you know, if, if there were three books that you would want every teacher to read, what would they be? Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Um, what would they be? Um, I would absolutely read Ralph Fletcher's Breathing In, Breathing Out which is um, a very slim novel about um, how important it is to reflect in writing on your teaching. Um, I would definitely read, if you taught young kids, really young ones, I would definitely read something by Katie Woodray. Um, She really transformed my teaching in that, Um, I had so many kids that wanted to draw. And when I was really new to teaching, I used to say, like, write your words first and then draw after that. And now I wish I could just kick that, you know, young person. But I didn't know. Um, And after I read her work, I felt like, you know, you, you, you need to guide people the way they with the thing that they can do first before you get them to the thing that you want them to do. And so if drawing something and then writing about their drawing works, then that's super amazing. And she's written tons of books, Katie Woodray, but, and I would recommend any of them. Um, If you're reading older, uh, working with older kids, I mean, I always feel like Nancy Atwell is such a great, you know, um, she was such a forerunner about, you know, getting kids um, voice and choice in, in reading and um, as is Donald and Miller. Um, and I think Reggie, no, sorry, now it's too many books. I think Reggie Rootman is amazing in that she really, you know, she was really like the, the godmother of literacy and, and how it should work and how we have to support kids until they're ready to be on their own. Um, and we, ha- we need to be readers and writers before we can expect our kids to be that. Yeah. You know, um, you know, my, my co-host Wilkie and I are both, uh, both book hounds. So I think maybe, maybe in a few months or a little bit down the road, like you said, that time in July, when everything's kind of slow, we should bring you back and we'll just, we'll just do a, a, a just a podcast solely just talking about books and it'll be, Oh my God. I mean, I can talk be- about books all day. Yeah. It would be fantastic. So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you strive as an editor or the editors to, to, to not foster competition. And then you, and then you brought up professionalism. So, you know, talking about, you know, like you said, the conversation about whether, you know, genes, you know, diminish the, 
I, I guess I'm assuming it is, there are people that say genes diminish the professionalism of a teacher because they don't look the part or they don't look the authoritative figure or, or whatever. So what do you, when you, when you say the word professionalism to you, what does that look like for a teacher right now? Cause I think there maybe is confusion and I feel like there's confusion with myself as to what I define professionalism as versus what like the administration of my school defines it as. So how, how would you really define what, you know, professionalism for a teacher is, you know, in 2018? I think, uh, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, a, it's such a different thing. And like, I guess one of the things I can equate it to is, um, you know, if a doctor walked in to talk to me in a suit and tie, I would feel like he wasn't that professional. I would feel like, who are you? Are you running the business office? Because you, you expect them to be wearing like a white lab coat or their, or their blue scrubs, right? That's the, that's, we want them to be comfortable because doing their job requires moving around and looking at people and being sanitary looking, right? So these are all the things that we equate with a doctor, which is considered one of the most professional jobs out there, right? And I feel like as a teacher, our, our job has morphed from being the people who tell the information to the people who help kids experience it and learn it in any way that works for each kid. And so, and, and again, the world is different, right? You're, you're less likely to have a community of kids who all grow up right next to each other and always did, whose families are all the same class structure or all, you know, the same culture, right? It's very unlikely. And so your job as a teacher is to now meet the needs of very different, a classroom of very different people. And sometimes that means you're sitting on the floor to really ease a kid into doing whatever it is you need to do. Like they're, they're sitting on the floor and they've isolated themselves and you might sit on the floor to kind of talk quietly to them and get them back where they need to be. Or, you know, if you're teaching little kids, you're sitting, you might be sitting on the floor or moving around the room trying to, you know, check in with them on what they're reading or what project they're doing. And so I think the job has changed so much that you're not standing in front of the classroom and you're not sort of cracking the whip, so to speak, to keep things in order. And because of that, I think that our uniform, so to speak, has changed. And I think that that's what people fight about. It's like, my, I'm not wearing jeans because I think that this job is easy. I'm wearing jeans because it, it helps me, <clears throat> excuse me, it helps me move around the room and get, do what I need to do. And it helps kids not see me as the, the power in the room um, because I know how to manage my classroom by getting to know my students and getting to, and having good relationships. I don't need to be the one that looks in charge because I'm putting everybody in charge of how it's going down. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in that camp with you that, you know, I feel, you know, most comfortable in a pair of jeans with, with tennis shoes and a button up shirt or a sweater. Like I, I by no means, you know, want to wear gym shorts and a t-shirt all the time, but I think the more comfortable you can be as a teacher in your classroom, like you said, the more comfort it reflects to your kids and, and the more comfortable they'll be with you. And I think that's super important. Like you said, now that, you know, we have to, to make kids comfortable, they, they aren't necessarily just automatically comfortable in school. Like 
I mean, like it seemed like they were in my time. Exactly. So, so talking about, you know, the different sections of, of what you have on, on the website from, you know, career advice to well-being and lifestyle and, and teacher resources, do you have certain sections that get more traffic and traction than others? Oh gosh, you know, it really, it ebbs and flows depending on the time of year, right? January, February, and March are a tough time of year for teachers. And so we get a lot of hits on the life and well-being, you know, because they're just, they're tired and the and things are changing and they're trying to accommodate things. And it's just like, they haven't seen the sun in a while. And so they're looking there. And I think like, you know, ultimately we try to foster, a, we do a lot of life and well-being articles because... Um, you know, like with kids and Maslow's theory, like if, if you aren't taking care of your basic needs, it's hard to care about teaching, you know? So if you're, if you're hungry and you're not getting enough sleep and you're not spending time with your family or doing the things you love, it is hard to walk in the classroom and be prepared and be on top of your game. So it's really important for people to take the time out to do that kind of stuff. And then I think as far as career goes, you know, we get those hits, like, you know, when people are feeling dissatisfied with their job or when they know they're moving or at the end of the year and then they go in there and they try to see um, or not if they're dissatisfied with their job, but they know the summer's coming and they might want to take classes. And so we try to cover all of those things. So in career, it's like not just am I looking for a teaching job someplace else? Um, but it might be, am I look, looking for a different kind of teaching job? You know, maybe somebody's been in, you know, teaching in a middle school and they're really drawn to kids who are in special ed and they think maybe that's the, maybe that's the shift I need to make is to doing more special ed or to doing more things to do with PE or, you know, whatever it might be. So I think helping teachers find that niche and that, Teaching doesn't mean one thing. Like being one kind of classroom teacher isn't the only your, the, the thing you have to do for the rest of your career. Right, and and just like and you know, I've said this a bunch of times. It, I, I love the premise, and and now that I've heard it from someone that you know, you really, it, it's apparent, you know, on the website and on your social media that you really care about teachers and you want you know, them to do well, but like getting to talk to you and really understanding how you go through the process of, of picking these, the, you know, the articles and the things you put up, like it makes sense as to why, you know, there's always, you know, every time I've been on there, I can find something timely, you know, and, and I am in that position right now where, um, I found out a couple months ago that my contract's not being renewed and, and I'm in that spot trying to figure out, you know, what is the next step for me? Cause I have a family that's like, you just moved back. Are you going to move somewhere far away again? But then on the same token, they're like, you know, you need to just find a job and make sure that you got insurance right? and you know, a roof over your head. And then on the personal side, like I love what I'm doing right now with the podcast and, and with what I'm, you know, we're doing with our nonprofit that, I look at the career advice and, and, and like you said, it's really good because I can, I can see some of the other things that are available to me that, you know, all, would allow me to kind of mold all of my skill set into, into, you know, kind of the, the perfect job or, you know, in the world we live in, I could have a bunch of different jobs. Like I could 
do two or three different things in education and and make my living you know as much as I was making if not more and and still be be serving that community and I and I and I think especially that that career advice section is is the one that I've gone to the most um in terms of the content that you guys put out yeah and it's interesting so a few more questions I I definitely want to be respectful of your time but um so what do you see? Cause, cause I know I, I, I see the memes and you know, there's certain stuff and I don't know how much you guys are creating or putting out, but what's the importance of just the teacher humor that's out there and, and how it helps the community. So we're really careful with humor. We actually think it through a lot um, because one of the things we really don't like is anything that is that treats teachers or kids as if they're the joke, right? So we're really careful not to do that, but instead sort of join in along with the things that we think are funny because teaching is super stressful. And, you know, teachers stay up nights worrying about their kids and worrying about their jobs and like just your situation that you're in, right? Right now, like that's happening everywhere. And, And we hear about it a lot, like teachers' contracts not being renewed or, you know, they, um, funding people, teacher schools thought they were going to have, they don't have. So now they're moving teachers around to positions they don't want to be in. And, you know, it's just stressful. And so humor, I think, is is sort of the best way that we know to relieve that stress. And we we actually have like planning sessions where we get together and like, look at gifts that we think are funny and you know, try to like put, you know, funny words to them to make them good memes. And we're so careful, like, okay, that can't be misinterpreted, right? That's definitely going to be, you know, kind, but funny. Um, Because we see a lot of sarcastic stuff out there and a lot of stuff about, you know, with sort of um, what we call like the infantilism of teachers, where they say like, teachers are like, complaining, like they're teenagers, right? We have, we want nothing to do with that. We feel like, you know, teachers are awesome. And, um, but it's also like, it's, it's, it's fun to make fun of the fact that we would like to have drawers full of candy on bad days, you know? Right. Right. You know, and that's, and that's a thing, you know, that I, I noticed too, when we were looking at it, it takes the right tact. And I think, you know, hearing you say that you really think it through it and you ask that question is, is there any way that this could be misinterpreted? Because, you know, in, in the world we live in and in the era of social media, like, it's so easy for things to be taken out of context. Um, you know, and on the same token, people feel like they can put kind of whatever they want without regard for how other people see it. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking back to last week or a week ago where uh, a student's prom proposal you know, had a reference to if he were black, he would be picking cotton. And it's just, Oh yeah. When, when there are, when there are things like that floating around, I think it's that much more important, you know, especially as teachers and for your organization that, that when you use humor, humor, because like you said, it is super important because this is a super hard job that it always is tactful and, and is in the right spirit. I think, I think you guys do a really good job of that. Thank you. So um, w- one more thing that I noticed from your website um, is, is that you're kind of always running contests. So 
you know, what, what contests are you running now and, and kind of why do you choose to have those? So we, they're not really contests as much as they are giveaways. Um, I guess, uh, well, there are some contests. We don't, let me think what we have right now. Like, so if they, if they're a contest, it's like, you know, maybe a grant that's being, you know, given away. So a lot of times people will approach us and they'll want to sponsor something because they want to reach the audience that, you know, comes and reads stuff on We Are Teachers. And so one good example of one right now is We Volunteer. Um, We.com is a, um, um, it's an organization that helps with um, service learning in the classroom. And so, um, you know, we.com and Allstate Foundation got together and, um, and they wanted to sort of promote a little bit of what they do so more people know about them. And so we said, you know, they said, well, we've got $250 grant and you could, you know, if you volunteer and you get involved, you can, one, you know, classroom could win that or whatever. They're all different things. Um, sometimes it's winning tech stuff. Sometimes it's winning a 3D printer. And, um, and then you just have to sort of register and, and then we throw it all into a pool and one person, you know, wins the, the grant. So we do that really just to kind of help teachers and we feel like teachers are going to come on board and they're going to learn about something new, a new program or something that's out there. And oftentimes we offer something for free just for signing in like a downloadable or something or a printable. And then nice. somebody else can win the big prize. Awesome. That's perfect. So yeah, that's so, so impactful. And I, I'm really glad we got to have this conversation. So I'm going to wrap it up with some some questions that are just kind of general, more fun questions to kind of bring it around. So um, back to the, to the topic of books, um, what, is, what is one book that you would recommend to everyone? You know, a book that really kind of changed you and, and shift the way you, you viewed a certain topic? Hmm. Well... I think I I've read a ton of books this year, but I haven't read one that I thought was like super impactful. Like I really loved the Immortalists, but I wouldn't say it like impacted me in any, you know, I just thought it was a really a great book. Well, well written. Um, but I think I always recommend the book, the power of one, which is by Bryce Courtney, I think is his name. Um, and it's just this amazing book about this kid who lives in South Africa who has to kind of fight his way out of everything and how he kind of um, learns. He has just stamina and there's so much terrible happens to his life and he kind of moves forward. Um, I love books. I really love coming of age books for boys. I don't know why. It's just kind of my thing. So I would say like books like The Paper Boy um, by Vince Vauder, which is an awesome book for understanding what it's like to think, what, what goes on in the brain of someone who has a stutter. Um, and I loved the book um, um, Al Capone Does My Shirts. Um, so I love books like that where they're, it's about kids who um, you know, sort of have tough lives, but like kind of you get, you learn this lesson, but it's not shoved in your face. You know, you kind of learn it with them. Perfect. And then, um, 
this can be educationally related or just in life. What's the best advice you've ever been given and who was the person that gave it to you? The best advice I've ever been given that I give out all the time is no matter where you are, find a mentor who has what you want or has something that you think you want and be brave enough to ask for help to get there. Um, and I think that it's true of everywhere. I say it doesn't matter where you go to college. It doesn't matter whether you go to private or public school. It doesn't matter whether you live in the in a rural and urban or a suburban area. You can always find someone who has something that's really powerful to you and ask them how they got there and ask them to help you get there. And I think oftentimes when we open up that conversation um, to saying like, you have something awesome and I want to know how to get that too. It, it makes another person who may not have known that that was seen as a really good thing, feel good about themselves and want to share how to get you there as well. And it also bridges, you know, creates a relationship. Like I think my whole teaching life and really my whole life, but my whole teaching life, I, I felt like if I, relationships were, were my number one priority, like if I didn't have relationships with kids, I mean, I knew what kids ate for breakfast. I knew when their, you know, a dad was away on vacation and then came home I, and what the reunion was like. I knew, like, I just knew everything that was happening because if we don't know our kids, we don't really know who they are. So we, how can we possibly know how they learn? Um, and the person who told me that advice was um, a professor that I worked for when I was in a graduate program for literacy education who had been in the Peace Corps and had really um, come back with like a lot of information about building relationships and, and, and how that has to be the root of all education. That is fantastic advice to ask for mentors. And, and that's a big part of what, what Wilkie and I do with our nonprofit is we want to really um, kind of unify or really put out a good new teacher mentoring program because we feel like that's a space where a lot of teachers get a lot of varied experiences. Um, most new teachers are getting some type of mentor when they enter the profession, but it's kind of a crapshoot whether you get a mentor that's a part of a good program or a mentor that is a good person that really wants wants to fill that that mentoring role. So that's that is great. Well, advice. right, like. You're you, you might get assigned one, but that's not your mentor. You got to do that right. work for that. And if you're lucky, that one turns out to be the one you were looking for. But if not, you got to find somebody else. And I think Minu Rami wrote that book, Thrive. I think that book's an amazing book for new teachers and how important it is to build relationships. And, um, oh, there was something else you just said that made me want to tell you something. Ah, I can't remember right now. But I, I think relationships are like the most critical part of of being a good teacher and staying in the game and feeling good about what you do. Because if you have somebody to turn to, and that's really what we try to do at We Are Teachers, right? Is like connect people to each other through social media um, and, um, you know, give them people, give teachers the resources they need when they need them. Like there are so many things that you don't learn as a teacher when you're in a teaching program. And, you know, to be able to hop on We Are Teachers and be like, how do I do this? And have an article that tells you exactly how to do it. That's really our ultimate goal it's to be like, you know, the best resource for everybody, the one stop place to come to, to do that. That's awesome. So 
Um, either personally or as we are teachers, what's your proudest accomplishment to date? Oh, I'm sure I'm supposed to say having my children, but it's not. Uh, no, I love them. <laughs> um, I think my proudest accomplishment, you know, I, I've, I've worked really hard to be in a place where I would say I wake up every single day loving what I do. I'm super proud to work for We Are Teachers. I feel like I'm doing good in the world on a bigger scale than I felt like I was doing it before. And um, I feel like there's so many avenues that for me to take, like the road is never closed. And so I think my biggest accomplishment was in in being okay with doing so many different things in my life because it kind of all led me to the place I needed to be. Awesome. All right. So for, for those people that want to either follow you personally on social media or connect with We Are Teachers, what's the best way to do those things? Uh, well, if you, if you want to reach out to me because you want to write for us, you can reach out to me at Kimberly at weareteachers.com. And Kimberly is spelled L-E-Y at the end. Um, if you want to, and also you can look on our, our website, weareteachers.com. And if you scroll to the bottom, it'll say write for us. And you can click on that. Don't be afraid to, if you haven't written something before, you know, if you have something passionate that you want to write about to pitch us an idea. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Kimberly G Moran and we are teachers is that we are teachers and we have, you know, Facebook groups that are, um, closed groups where teachers can come and talk about what their issues are and get support. Um, so just look those, you know, we are teachers helpline is one of our Facebook groups. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have lots of cool Insta stories. And all of our giveaways are always on Instagram and Facebook. And we have a huge collection of resources on Pinterest. All you have to do is look up We Are Teachers. Yeah, you guys are all over the place. So, um, yeah, once again, I really, really super-duper appreciate the time. And I really enjoyed the conversation uh, and before we let you go, we got one last question. What do you want? And that you can either uh, answer this on a personal level or as we are teachers, what do you want the legacy of, of either one of those things to be? Um, I think I would have to say that, I don't know. I'm a huge firm believer in the, in the concept of read, resist and rise that as teachers, I feel like the more we read, the more we know, the more we can resist what people are telling us and make decisions for ourselves. And the more we can rise and then lift students up as well. That's, that is fantastic. I'm going to definitely, definitely steal that. That's a, that's a really <laughs> good saying for sure. So um, yeah, like I said, super appreciate the time and, and, you know, w we will definitely in the show notes, link up all the different places where they could find you. But Kimberly, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time this evening. Thanks. It was great talking to you.